Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Paul Bearer to my undertaker. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, what connects former Middlesbrough and Sunderland midfielder Julio Arca, the actress Anna Diarmas and Jarvis Cocker from Pulp? Oh, see, I'd have gone with a South American vibe there, but um, is it supermarkets? They all go, do all attend supermarkets? The answer is absolutely nothing. And I can't believe I've got away with that twice in two weeks. Yeah. Well, you had me last week, didn't you? Because you actually had a a link in the previous episode or the the week before. I can't remember when it was, but you've had a link in between. So, yeah, you have have done me there. But there probably is a link. They probably do all go to supermarkets. I'm not wrong. I I imagine they must go to supermarkets or Anna Diarmas probably has an assistant who goes to the supermarket (laughs) for her. But... Well, what, what kind of supermarket do you think they go to? Um, I think Julio Arca is a Morrison's man. I think Jarvis okay. Cocker, um, oh, he's common people, so maybe an Aldi. And then Anna mm. Diarmas. See, Cocker's, he's a bit of a, oh, common people, but he's a bit of a champagne socialist, I think. Mm. So he's probably, you know, preaching about Aldi and Lidl, but he's actually sneakily nipping off to Waitrose. Well, he probably goes to Aldi to get that... You know, the the cheap alcohol, the cheap Prosecco, that's actually like one of the best ones. Mm. Um, so he probably goes there to, to get that. And obviously Anna Diarmas, I reckon she she likes a Tesco when she's <laughs> not in the US. You know what? You might be onto something. Welcome to the number one <laughs> championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It's an international break, ladies and gentlemen. So as usual, Justin and I have had to come up with some crackpot scheme about what we're going to be talking about over the next two episodes in particular. So we thought we'd look back on the transfer windows because obviously it's basically taken up our lives for three or four months and now it's just gone. Crazy. <laughs> so in this episode... It's going to be a bit of a negative one because we're going to be talking about the worst <laughs> of the transfer window. So we're going to be, first of all, going through our top five worst transfer windows. We're then going to be talking about something quite interesting, specifically about Leicester and Southampton's transfer windows. More about that after uh, the break. And then we'll also be revealing the transfers which we don't rate the most, if that makes sense. So the two transfers we don't particularly like um which is also going to be quite interesting i suppose and then we'll finish off with scott high or ryan low right at the end so without further ado let's kick things off with our top five worst transfer windows this is going to be very interesting isn't it justin <laughs> who have we got in fifth oh actually just before you start as usual we do this the same way we make all our lists justin makes a list i make a list then we merge them together just need to add in that Quick clarification before people start <laughs> kicking off. Um, Justin, who have we got fifth? We've got Queenspot Rangers. Now, I think QPR have done okay, but they probably, in, in my in my opinion, they fall into that bottom five because others have simply done better. You can argue that Elias Chair and Chris Willett staying is, is absolutely huge. In fact, it is huge. Two talents who can change a game very quickly because of, well, they're, they're talented individuals. That being said, could Willick have been sold to reinvest the money into the squad? Because we know the squad needs 
extra quality. We know the squad needs a bit of investment, but it's just not there. That It maybe would have been ideal if that was the case. And there are some murmurs of a rift between Gareth Ainsworth and Chris Willock, and Chris Willock has, has lost his place under Ainsworth or um, seemingly fallen out of favour. So there's there's that that can be perceived as a negative. You've got Steve Cook and Jack Colback, I think, are good signings, as are Morgan Fox and Azmir Begovic, but they're all at the wrong end of their careers, albeit very experienced and have been pretty decent so far this season. Um, but the squad needed more quality to adding to it, as I alluded to. Needed more depth. Josh Knight was a move that never happened. Another strike would have been nice to cover Sinclair Armstrong and Linden Dyke. So, yeah, it just falls short of adding the much-needed quality, which probably comes with a slightly higher budget, which they don't have. Yeah, I think you're yeah, absolutely spot on. QPR needed a lot more than they've got. And the standard of player they've got in just isn't great. I think Jack Colback, Steve Cook, Asmir Begovic, Morgan Fox... Good experienced pros. Don't think they're bad signings. How many of them would get into other championship sides, though? Mm. Some would get in more than others, but you're looking at less than half, aren't you? Uh, getting back Paul Smith from Leighton Orient is not particularly inspiring. Taylor Richards and Ziad Lakersh both came in too, who are young lads. Otherwise, that's it. The squad is about just as good as it was last season, in my view, and the depth could be a real problem. As the season goes on and players start picking up injuries, the quality of player available could become really poor. And that's why QPR have could have done with a lot more activity in this window. As you say, Chris Willock has been heavily linked with a move away. I can understand that QPR have had financial restrictions, but if they got rid of Willock, that maybe would have freed up space for two mm -hmm. or three new players, but it's just not happened. And here they are with a squad which is still lacking in plenty of areas. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think you look at the you know, other sides around and there hasn't been too much movement either. So it might be a case of budget restrictions, but also I think there's been a, a lack of availability of, of younger players well, being available on loan from Premier League clubs has been a, a real lack of movement from from that point of view. So I think that's really impacted teams like QPR, Huddersfield, US Broms, those teams that do have stricter finances that could have done with with their squad bolstering with a couple of mercurial talents from from Premier League clubs. Movement's just not been there, and I think even Gareth Ainsworth probably would have expect would have expected a little bit more coming into the squad. I know he he was frustrated at the the Josh Knight saga before the season started. Um, and then again towards the end of the window. So, yeah, really disappointing window for, for QPR, but still not terrible. But yeah, they, they, they could have been, it needed to be a lot better. Yeah, I think that's a very good way of summing it up, Justin. In fourth place, we have Middlesbrough. Now, Middlesbrough would probably be top of the worst transfer window list if it wasn't for the deadline day signings of Sam Greenwood and in particular Lewis O'Brien. That O'Brien signing has certainly bumped them up a few places. But the reason why they're bottom of the championship as we speak is mainly because of their transfer business over the summer, isn't it? That attack is just simply not good enough for a side aiming for the top six. They've gone from Shubrak, Pom, Cameron Archer, Aaron Ramsey to Morgan Rogers, Isaiah Jones and Emmanuel Latte Laff. In fairness, new signing Sammy Silvera has looked sharp in the first few games, but simply put, Morgan Rogers should not be starting every game for a top six chasing side. Latte Lath may turn out to be a good striker, but if he doesn't, you're relying on 20-year-old Josh Coburn to play instead. They desperately needed another striker on deadline day, but that didn't happen. And Middlesbrough are the lowest scorers in the division so far, and I fear that may be a sign of things to come, considering... Their options up top are very thin on the ground. Elsewhere, Sonny Diang hasn't had a great starting goal. He's faced 16 shots on target and conceded nine, the lowest save percentage in the division. New left-back Lucas Engel has not impressed at all in his first two appearances, but it is early days, so let's not write him off just yet. Ultimately, Justin, I remember when we did our league table predictions, and I'm sorry for putting you in the shit here, <laughs> but you were trying to persuade me to put Middlesbrough in the top two, and I just thought... Why? Because that transfer business has been nowhere near good enough. I, I, I agree. I don't think it's about the quality of player that's come in. Though. I think it's the timing of the player coming in. And I think the reason why I was so big on Middlesbrough is because I do back Michael Carrick. I mean, the, the stats do show that they are creating chances. Um, but the teething issues are there once again in that final third. 
for me, it's the timings of, of, of the deals that have happened. It's taken too long to get the team bolstered from what it needed to be. They knew mid-May that these loan players were heading back to their parent clubs. They knew mid-May that they were going to need to be replaced. And, you know, Latte Laff comes in two or three games into the season. Engel comes in two or three games into the season. Could these moves have happened way before? I know Akpom, um, the situation is taken out of their hands a little bit because... It's just a lot of uncertainty. With, w- w- there was a lot of uncertainty with his future, um, but essentially those loan players were the ones that needed to be replaced early on, and they and they weren't. They were bolstered by squad players who have potential. Um, so for me, it's about the timing. And I was expecting them to learn their lessons of last year because again, they failed to get their initial targets, or what, that's what it felt like anyway. Last this time last year, the likes of Dean Henderson was linked. Um, amongst others and it just felt like they were missing out target after target after target and in the end it was a bit of a shoehorn transfer window and again it feels like that's the same thing it's going to take time for that to gel uh, which is why I was saying in uh, in the weekend episode that the best thing for Middlesbrough to do is sack Carrick and then rehire him in October because you know it's all in jest but at the end of the day I don't expect Middlesbrough to get going until after that second international break and that's a big shame because there's a lot of potential with Carrick and, and this squad but it's just he's been let down by those undertaking the transfers and as I say I've put them in there because of timing it's not because of quality. I think quality has played a part, though, because it seems like they signed a lot of squad players with the expectation of them signing first-team players later on in the window, but it's just not happened, has it, mm-hmm. with the exception of a couple of players. I also feel sorry for Carrick because you look at how much money Middlesbrough spent last season on the likes of Rodrigo Muniz and yeah. Matt Clark and Matthew Hoppy, some players oh, God, who yeah. just didn't work out, and now he's been left having to work with what he's got because there's no money left in the in the uh, piggy bank for him. So he's it's a bit of a shame for him because not only is it affecting Middlesbrough, but it's also affecting his reputation as a coach. Because I imagine if things don't get better and he loses his job, then his stock as a manager will tumble quite dramatically when really it's not necessarily his fault because this squad just isn't as good as where Middlesbrough should be. And let's go to number three, Justin. Who have we got there? We've got West Bromwich Albion. I'm full naming all the teams today, which means I'm I'm definitely on it. But I think the the, the key thing with West Brom is it comes down to finances. It is purely down to finances. And they needed a lot more surgery doing to their squad than perhaps people think. There are a lot of quality players, but there are a lot of injury-prone players, a lot of ageing players. Um, and the lack of movement or the lack of um, flexibility in their budget has just not allowed it. And I think that their ability to move players on has has stopped them from from bringing players in. I think the likes of Grady Dean Garner, I've read reports of Dean Garner being told he can leave, Shalaber, Nathaniel Shalaber being told he can leave, and no one's come in for them. And I think the main reason why is because it's that Premier League hangover or Premier League, um, Premier League campaigns and Premier League uh, Championship promotion campaigns these players are probably going to be on a decent wedge, so not many people are going to, not many clubs are going to be uh, be, be interested. And in I think uh, Corbrand's playing playing the price with that. I do think Josh Madger is a half decent signing as a rotation option. I, I get nervous if he's going to be that first team regular, along with Brandon Thomas Asante. We're all waiting for Daryl DK to hit form. Jeremy Sarmiento is a talent, um, and he can certainly have a good season. I think Simone Pippa is a, a as an attacking fullback would give Corbrand a different outlet, but. They needed to replace Daro Shea. They needed maybe a little bit more legs in midfield because that's something they do lack with with the options they have. Obviously, Gardner Hickman's left, which isn't ideal. Um, and I feel like they needed a, a clinical goal scorer, which they've not had for a long time. Yeah, well, you've pretty much summed it up all there, Justin. I think I'm right in saying West Brom have signed the fewest players in the championship this summer. I mean, just three players through the door, them being Magia, Sarmiento and Pippa. That's it. It was never going to be a busy summer for West Brom because of the financial situation there. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not a bad window, though. Ultimately, their squad is weaker than it was because they've lost Daroche. And I don't think the players they brought in particularly improved them much. Throwing as well the departure of Gardner Hickman on loan with a potential fee of less than one and a half million, which I still cannot understand at all. It's not been a great window in terms of departures or in terms of incomings, because when you look at the departures, there are some players who they could have done with shifting. You mentioned Dean Garner and Chalabar, Alex Mowitz, another one. Mm. There may be a couple of others who 
probably won't f play that much this season, but are on a fair amount of money considering how much they are going to be playing. So it's just been a far from ideal window and that's why it's hard to get too excited about West Brom this season. Well, if they've not got near the players where they have, but if they've not breached the playoffs in the last two years, why why are they going to be able to do it this year without that necessary yeah. necessary surgery that they need doing to their squad? They need it freshening up and they just can't. They just can't because of the ownership situation, the lack of movement in the budget. It's impossible for, for them to do that. I do think... Corbyn's going to have to have a Huddersfield-like season where he, they really do outperform expectations if they're going to breach that, that top six because whilst they do have a, a raft of quality individuals, I've not seen them properly play like a team yet. We saw it in spells last season, but not consistently enough to obviously get into that top six. So yeah, there's, 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 there's potential for potential, if that makes sense, but it's really hard to see it without the need um, or without the necessary signings that, um, yeah, that needs to be done this, this summer. Potential for potential. Like I can see it being good. So that's the that's the potential of the potential. The 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 pre-potential of the potential. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's still hurting my brain just thinking about that. <laughs> Let's go to the team we have as the second worst transfer window of the summer. And that's Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday have got that summertime sadness because as well as the whole fiasco surrounding Darren Moore, Isco Munoz and Carlton Palmer, they've had a shocker in the transfer window. They didn't have a head of recruitment for a lot of it. So it meant they only got started really at the end of July. And the approach has been very scattergunny. 12 players have come in. Half of them, I can guarantee 99% of people had never heard of beforehand. So who knows how good they actually are. The more recognisable players aren't too encouraging. Ashley Fletcher's 27 now. It's not happened for him before in his career. So why would it happen now at Sheffield Wednesday? Deshaun Bernard started a handful of games at Portsmouth last season. Bambo Diaby was a squad player at Preston. Jeff Hendrick is an eye-catching signing, but he isn't the Jeff Hendrick of three years ago. And I think if you ask QPR Reading fans, they weren't too impressed with uh, with his performances at those respective clubs. And John Buckley, I think, is a good move. He's a decent young midfielder from Blackburn, so I'd say that one's a positive. However, overall, the squad is very subpar. Not enough has happened this summer, and that's why you've got to be quite fearful of Wednesday's chances of staying up when you also mix in the manager and just the chaos that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of problems. Just going back to your first point, Lana Del Rey, what's she got to do with Wednesday? Is, is summertime sadness or is it just a song reference of, of Wednesday not having a great summer? Uh, a bit of both. I think Lana Del Rey may have potentially or may potentially be a Sheffield Wednesday fan, went into the future and looked at this summer and wrote that whole oh, song about wow. what's going on at Hillsborough. That's an incredible fact. I hope that's Prove um, me wrong, Justin. I I won't do it there. I'll let the listeners um, and subsequent Twitter followers do that. <laughs> it's like you're doing a lot of things. <laughs> um, I, I I agree with you. It's really hard to get excited about Sheffield Wednesday. I think it's got obvious weaknesses. It's an old aging squad. Louis Walsh will be rubbing his hands together because every single player it feels like is over twenty five. So that X factor category is full to the brim. <laughs> Um, I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of musical references in this one. Um, maybe it's the light in the uh, light in the gloom because for me this squad lacks pace, it lacks technicians, it lacks youth. I know Gasama and Masaba are young, but they're untested at championship level. They could be they could be good, but there's that uncertainty. Deshaun Bernard, um I liked him at Portsmouth in the in the in the games that I saw him in. He was a very composed centre half, so he might be a good signing. But again, he's He's coming into the championship where I know he's had experience with Hull, but a bit of a point to prove. John Buckley, like you said, I think is a good signing. Struggled with consistency at times, but he could be that spark. They need that technician they need in that midfield. But again, you're relying heavily on one player to do it. Not particularly fair. I know you've got Barry Bannon, but again, that's 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 two players. It feels like there's a lack of balance uh, in various points of the squad. It feels like a chaotic summer. The recruitment's matched it. And we're left with uh, a squad full of maybes and has-beens. And that's really where Wednesday have been shopping because there's no structure off the pitch. Yeah. You, you talk about that midfield. I think Barry Bannon, Jeff Hendrick, John Buckley, George Byers. It's a decent midfield, isn't it? It's just the rest of the squad is lacking quite a lot. Mm. And it's 
as we've been saying repeatedly over the past few weeks with one point on the board it's uh, not looking too good for Sheffield Wednesday with five games into the season if they had a bit more of an encouraging transfer window then maybe we'd give them a bit of hope but we can't unfortunately the team we think have had the worst transfer window in the championship this summer who is it Justin Peach? It's Huddersfield Town the Terriers no surprise to anybody because we mentioned this in the uh, weekend episode needed a lot adding to it maybe I was naive maybe you were naive and many many others into thinking a new new ownership coming in will, will mean a new start and virtually a new squad because that's what it needed didn't think the squad was good enough last season it took a Neil Warnock a miracle to um, to deliver a well safety last season in the championship they haven't I will, I will give them this Huddersfield haven't performed poorly so far this season the stats show that they've been in virtually every game they've played even against Norwich I was impressed they were undone by two poor errors for them first two goals which has effectively given Norwich the game because that lack of quality in the final third it's shown and they've fallen short in those games because I feel they don't have the necessary quality throughout the squad to see games through or get in front in games West Brom game aside where the goals they scored were quality they've fallen short in the final third which is ultimately I think going to be their undoing unless they can get things sorted in the free agent market which by the looks of what we've picked out so far there'll be quite a few clubs competing for the same players maybe yeah, well, I think Huddersfield are one of a few clubs who desperately need a striker. I was having a look at the striker options available in the free agent market, and it's not too promising. Um, the bottom line is Huddersfield, what they got this summer is nothing compared to what they needed. They had probably the worst squad in the division last summer and still have the worst squad in the division. Four signings, one of which is a backup goalkeeper. It's just nowhere near good enough. And even the ones who have come in, Tom Edwards played 10 games in League One last season before getting injured and missing half the season. Delano Bergsorg scored a great goal at the weekend, but he's on loan for Mines. So who knows how he'll do. Ben Wiles, I think, is a good signing, in fairness, from Rotherham. But they desperately needed strength in several areas, particularly with a striker, and they just haven't. It's the whole reason why Neil Warnock is not a happy man at Huddersfield. It's why Huddersfield fans are not happy with their new owners already. And it's why Huddersfield are in serious danger, again, of going down. That's their key thing, isn't it? They've they've sort of shot themselves in the foot this summer by not being as active as they need to. And I get that they're takeover was not delayed but it took a while to get it signed off and sorted um, which is ultimately going to delay a lot of things and it's why Neil Warnock is going to be in charge for the season because that time to find a replacement and get the club sorted just wasn't there so I do I do sympathise in that sense but you know you've got to go all guns blazing and sort of try and put your mark down it didn't really do that Huddersfield or the new owners in the, in the summer it's a shame they got Yuta Nakayama coming back from injury which I think is a positive so a defence that consists of Tom Edwards Michael Helick Matty Pearson and Yuta Nakayama does fill me with confidence of solidity it's a solid back line with you know quality in Yutanaki Armin in the glimpses that we saw last season before his injury Ben Wiles I like the signing a, a lot I like it it's a brilliant signing but like you said, just the volume of signings that have come in just aren't there. They're going to be relying heavily a lot on um, on, on young players, which again is is uh, not particularly fair. Here's a question for you, Justin. If Huddersfield didn't have Neil Warnock, would they stay up? No, no, I, I, I don't think they do. Your pool of managers who are able to perform... Uh, or get the best out of uh, clubs and squads and exceed expectations is, is very slim, I think, at the moment. I don't think they'd be able to do it. Neil Warnock's done it time and time again. Carlos Colbrand did it a couple of years ago. So there aren't too many managers who I feel fit that specific criteria. Yeah, there's only a small amount who I can think of who I would back in the current situation at Huddersfield to keep them up because... I mean, put it this way, if they had Mark Fotheringham in charge again, then <laughs> I God. think Huddersfield could be in an <laughs> even bigger pickle than they already are. Um, that's to mention again, isn't it? Justin, mm. let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Leicester and Southampton's transfer windows and also pick out the signings we just don't rate this summer. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we're doing our roundup of the worst of the transfer window from the past summer in the championship. But we're going to be revealing the two transfers we think are the worst very shortly. However, before we get into that, we're going to have a quick chat about Leicester and Southampton's transfer windows. The reason for that is because there was a strange phenomenon which happened in the making of this episode. As you know, we made our best and worst transfer lists by having Justin and I each making our own separate lists and merging them together. And what happened is Justin had Southampton in his worst five transfer windows, while I had them in my top five. Meanwhile, I had Leicester in my worst five, while Justin had them in his top five. So we're in direct disagreement over Leicester and Southampton's transfer windows. So why is that? Justin, we'll start with Southampton. You think they've had a bad transfer window? I don't understand that at all. Well, I don't understand why you think Leicester have had a bad transfer window, but I'll my reason is shortly. <laughs> is, it, is... is it not just the anti-Southampton agenda seeping out of you? Yes, it is. It, I hate Hampshire. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Southampton. I've been there on holiday a few times. I haven't. I've been to Dorset, which is in Hampshire. Completely different parts <laughs> of the country. Um yeah, so I, I look at the quality Southampton have lost and the fee that they brought in. I expected a busier summer in the way of incomings to suit Russell Martin's style of play. Maybe I'm a naive. Maybe I have a um, hidden agenda at the deep subconscious. I, it's, it's maybe between the two. But I look at losing James Ward-Prowse. You've lost your leader. That's tough. That's really tough, especially as the season started as well. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, not only has Russell Martin lost a key player, but he's, he's got to replace his captain within a couple of weeks. And maybe Southampton were resigned to losing him at some point, but still didn't see too much proactive, proactivity, proactiveness in the way of getting somebody else in to, to replace him. Liveramento, he missed quite a lot last season and then he got a fair fee for him, recovering from injury still. So, there's 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 that, but he's a quality player again. It's lost Romeo Lavia. You've had Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool linked with him. Transfer tug of war between Chelsea and Liverpool shows you what he could have bought and the talent that he's got. I don't know if Cher Charles has come in, but again, he's relatively untested. Nathan Teller leaving again leaves a massive gap in a specific role, I think, in that team. So I think the timings of the outgoings has just really kicked Russell Martin in the bollocks, if I'm being honest with you. And has left him like, okay, well, I've now got to assemble what I think could be a, a squad pushing top two, top six. And we're seeing teething issues with his style of play. So I just don't think that's helped. And again, the money that's come in, I think could have been better used to 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 replace certain players. And it just hasn't. So it sounds like your theory about Southampton not having a good window is based purely on the outgoings. Well, they've lost just as many players as Leicester and Leeds have. I mean, Leeds have lost a hell of a lot more. Yeah, maybe could have added Leeds in there. And again, the timings timings are a big factor there. But I think with Leeds, there were players who didn't want to be there. So on, on that hand, um, whilst we didn't know enough about Southampton's outgoings and whether the players wanted to be there or not, um, you know, Leeds, Leeds kicked themselves as well with the, the, the clauses in the contracts. But for me, um, I just think that the money that's come in also plays a huge part and it is down to outgoings. Although they brought in Ross Stewart, it's not going to be available till October. Cher Charles is, is is unproven. Ryan Manning's a good signing. Joe Lumley's a backup goalkeeper. There's not much else. Taylor Hardwood-Bellis again is, is one that's come in late. 
so too is Mason Holgate. So it's just those timings, um, times with quality and income. Um, I, I think they could have been a little bit more proactive like Leicester have, which is why I had them in my top five. Does timing really matter? I think it does. I think it does. You've got to... Is it going to matter in December and past that point? Well, the you when you get off to a slow start, you look at Nottingham Forest when they were promoted, for example, they could have easily finished top two. But it's that first six or seven game spell that really let them down. Brentford, again, the reason why they struggled to get into the top two in previous seasons is because they've had a slow start to seasons. So if you've not got the players available to you straight away to get off to a steady start into a good um, into a good sort of um you know, second phase of the season, then it, you're playing catch up like Middlesbrough are now. And I don't think it's necessarily as bad a scenario at Southampton as it is likes of Middlesbrough. But Russell Martin's style of play is quite a unique style of play. So having players in throughout pre-season and early on in, in the early stages of a season, it's really going to help ensure that those players are going to be well covered uh, and well knowledgeable of, of, of how Russell Martin wants to deploy them. And I don't think we're seeing that yet. Do you not look at it, though, and think they've essentially signed the best of the championship last season? I mean, Taylor Harbour Bellis was arguably mm. the best centre-back in the league. Ryan Manning was arguably the best left-back in the league. They signed him for free. Ross Stewart could have finished top goalscorer last season if it wasn't for injury. And then Flynn Downs on loans is a, on loan is a mm. good move for all parties. I'm not too fussed about them getting in Mason Holgate or Ryan Fraser. I think they're two signings which don't necessarily make them more likely or less likely to get promoted. And 10 million on Shade Charles does seem a bit strange because he's unproven, I'll give you that. However, they have brought in those players who I mentioned, kept hold of some very talented players as well, like Shay Adams, Cal Walker-Peters, Camel Dean Solimana. Mm. Sounds like a great window to me. Yeah, but again, you, you lost your leader. Uh, you lost Nathan Teller. And those players that have come in have come in at the end of the transfer window as opposed to early on in transfer window. Now, I think Southampton are not lucky that they've won their games because they deserve to win those games. Um, but we, we, we've seen plenty of teething issues and now he's got two weeks to work with those new players, which again is a positive. It just makes me nervous. And I feel like, the again, the, the, the sum of, sums of money that have come into the, the club and the team could have been reinvested a lot sooner like Leicester had. I think you're comparing them to Leicester. I think so it's completely let me ask you this then, Justin. If they signed all these players at the start of July, where would they yeah. be in your list? They, they would be quite high because <laughs> they've got a whole pre-season to... But why does it matter then if they've signed them late in the window? Because, uh, like I said, it's that timing It's that timing thing and the, the ability to get to know the style of play. You look at Burnley, the reason why Burnley was so steady in those initial phases, uh, initial stages of the last season is because Vincent Company got a lot of that business done really early throughout the summer. They got themselves sorted, whereas Southampton, Leeds and Leicester were all a bit of a mess when they've come down. So that's why there's a little bit of scepticism as to whether or not they can really hit well, their potential. You say that, they signed Jordan Bayer, on deadline day and then they also signed an Asarori the day a couple of days before deadline day and they ended up being two of his most important players all season yeah but the likes of Hollywood Bellis Murric those key players in that style of play um, Marts and they were all a lot sooner than uh, the like you know, Southampton signed his players again Benson as well I just feel that was a lot of a there's a much firmer foundation to build upon than, than, than Southampton and Leeds and, and maybe even Leicester. Mm, I'm not sure I agree at all with what you're saying there. Let me uh, explain why I had Leicester in the bottom five of my list. Leicester were the biggest spenders in the Championship this summer, spending somewhere in the region of £35-40 million on transfer fees alone. That's not including wages or loan fees, etc. It just seems to me like the money they've spent is massively out of proportion with what they've got in return. They have massively overspent on some players. Connor Cody's the main one for me. Seven and a half million doesn't seem like a wise investment for a 30-year-old who wasn't deemed good enough for a team which just stayed up last season. Seven and a half million for Tom Cannon. I think he's a good young player, but he's only played 25 senior games. So it seems like they've overspent quite a lot on him. Six million on Steffi Mavrididi, whose numbers weren't too impressive in France. Six million on the keeper, Mads Hermanson. I don't know too much about him, but he's looked a bit shaky so far. Harry Winks, I think, is a good signing, but for 10 million still feels like they've overpaid on him. And Callum Doyle's a good signing on loan. I'm glad to see he's starting games. The other loanies, 
who knows how they'll do. Ultimately, as things stand, I still think Leicester will get promoted, but that's mainly down to the quality that was already at the club. See Ricardo Pereira, Kid in Dewsbury Hall, Valt Vice, etc., etc. Despite spending around 40 million, I don't think that's improved their chances of going up. But you've just said that you still think they'll get promoted. So how how can you go from one, one sort of extreme to another based on what they've already got compared to what they've brought in? Because I literally just said, I think the quality they already had, the likes of Dewsbury Hall and Pereira, etc. I think their squad is already good enough to get promoted. Yeah, but they've added certain elements to that squad who, that are going to improve. You look at Harry Winks, for example, wherever or not you think they've overpaid. Harry Winks, for me, can be one of the, the, the best midfielders in the division this season. I've spoke to a few Leicester fans who have really rated his performances so far. And as far as players fitting into a style of play, Harry Winks is almost perfect for a Maresca system. Conor Cody, I would agree to some extent that they probably have overpaid for him based on his age. But... I agree with Leicester fans who disagreed with us on that signing. If he delivers promotion and plays a key role in it, doesn't matter. Mads Hermanson, yes, he's looked shaky at set. He's, he's looked shaky at set pieces, but he does look very comfortable with the ball at his feet, which again is is, is a key factor in in this Maresca system. Steffi Mavadida, yeah, whilst his numbers weren't great last season. He's delivered on several occasions already this season. He scored the winner against Huddersfield, for example. He's looked like a really decent player. Callum Doyle was you know, a decent loan signing as well and they've retained other key players and I look at the outgoings only really James Madison and Harvey Barnes have been sold that I would sort of miss from my team Timothy Constania they've got enough cover in full back positions to, to, to cover that loss I'm not really bothered about that the rest were released or, or left later on in the window so they weren't deemed Deemed good enough, so I, I I disagree. This is this is again this is what makes it an interesting debate. Is I think Leicester got all their business done a lot sooner than Southampton, um, which is allowed for a more balanced start than, than than maybe theirs. But the players, who do you think, right? Who who do you think would be Leicester's five best players this season? Five best players. If you this had season. if you had to make a big wild prediction after five games. Um, I'll go with Keenan Dewsbury Hall top one obviously um, I think Callum Doyle is going to be one of the best players as well uh, Steffi okay. Mavadida I think with his ball so, see now you're just picking the players here. doesn't matter to you told me to pick my five you told me to pick my five <laughs> Connor Cody Harry Winks and Matt Hermanson there we go exactly <laughs> <laughs> see I think their five best players this season will be Keenan Dewsbury Hall as we say we, we think he, he's going to be a massive player for them um, I would go without Vice because I think he's going to play pretty much every game for them. I think Ricardo Pereira is way too good to be playing in the championship. I think Callum Doyle, as I say, I think he's a good signing. Um, and then after that, you're probably looking at maybe Harry Winks, but I still think they've overpaid for him. I mean, £10 million based off what he's done over the last couple of seasons is a huge amount of money, but it wouldn't surprise me if the last two places I've mentioned there were taken up by someone else who was already at the club. I just don't think they're particularly any better than they were before the transfer window. There will be an impasse on that because I, I think Southampton have got worse, whereas I think Leicester have improved. But again, I think this is the interesting debate we're having. Think and that, got, you think Southampton have got worse? I think to some extent, yes, I, I, I do. Uh, Shea Adams staying actually is, is a bonus. I should have counted that in it as a as a factor, but it's just losing James Ward Prowse is such a blow. It's I'm I'm hanging on to that as a, you know quite a significant factor. Yeah, but just in, you see, we're comparing apples and pears here because we knew we knew the likes of Ward Prowse, Madison mm. Barnes. Uh, Lavia, these players were all going to go anyway. So they weren't even involved in my thinking particularly because it was they would just it would have been incredible if they stayed. Whereas Leicester, their team just looks just as good as it was. I think maybe we should just end this exit. This, this has gone for way too long. The other thing, the only final thing I would say is Leicester probably could have done with shifting more players as well because there's a lot of players there on big wages who might not necessarily be totally motivated about playing in the championship. See Kelechi Iheanacho, because God knows how much he's on. Yeah. Let's just say Leeds. Let's just call it Leeds. Done. <laughs> yes. Let's just both agree. Leeds have had the worst window out of the three relegated sides. <laughs> um, let's go to the players or the transfers, which we just don't rate. So we've each picked the transfer that we think is the worst, which I'm sure is going to go down really well. Um, just in... 
which transfer didn't impress you the most? Yeah, I'll say it's, it's the one that didn't impress me the most. It's one that made me raise my eyebrows, I think, especially in the latter stages of the window. I'm going with Lee and Kitching to Coventry City. I just think Coventry have overpaid massively for him. I've struggled to find whether or not it's a four and a half or four million pound fee up front or it's two, three million pounds with add-ons. Nonetheless, it's an expensive transfer that I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, should I? would I have paid that much money for a League One defender last season? One of the best League One defenders we'll add. But Mads Anderson moved for the same amount to a Premier League side. So, and he was one of the, I think he was the best defender in, in League One last season. So is Liam Kitching rated as much or as highly as, as Matt Anderson? Maybe, maybe not. Don't get me wrong. I think he has good attributes and I think he's, you know, the likes of well, Mark Robbins and Eddie Vivesh are going to get the best out of him. Uh, he's aggressive. He's a bit of a shithouse. He's a solid no-nonsense, def- no-nonsense defender and he's comfortable in possession. But would I have paid that much money for him? I don't. I don't think I would have. I think. Um, I think Carpentry have maybe, yeah, not had their pants down, but Barnsley are a lot happier than um, than maybe they, they should have been with this this deal. I just think the reason why I'm, I'm putting this down here is I just think value for money wise, I think Carpentry could have got a lot better elsewhere. I just, I think you're dead wrong on this one. First of all. He's 23, so there's plenty of developing there for him and sell on value. And you've got a player here who missed just one league game all season for Barnsley, including in the playoffs. And he was at the heart of that Barnsley defence, which got to the playoff final, was one of the best League One teams ever, because I'd say the top four in League One last season were four of the best League One teams ever, because it was just such a high standard last season. And he was almost the quarterback of that Barnsley team with his long passing and spraying it out to the wings. And in addition to that, he joins up with Bobby Thomas in defence as well. So those two know each other very well. So they've got that connection there already. Ultimately, I find it surprising that you're doubting the recruitment of Coventry City, which is one of the best in the league. I think it's been skewed a little bit this season because of the fees that they've they've had to pay for for players. I look at most of their deals and they've you know, they, they've impressed me, but it's just this one where I've gone that much really. I think even the Ellis Sims one, I was like, yeah, he's worth it. He's he's got plenty of room to grow I think does it does the fee really matter that much Justin because I, I will accept four million pounds is a bit dear but you know deadline day Barnsley weren't too keen to lose him but they've but got him someone it. who's got plenty of developing but Jonathan Panzo joined I think he joined Cardiff didn't he on loan so there's there was an option potentially there I just think there are other players available Panzo personally <laughs> Well, that's your personal opinion. But I mean, Panzo was was good enough last season for for Coventry. Um, I just don't think he's he's worth that much money in it. And it comes down; it literally just boils down to that. I think Coventry have massively overpaid. Um, I think he's a solid performer. Is he has he got a higher ceiling for them to recoup this this fee and later down the line? I don't think he has. I think he's just as he is. He's a he's a League One defender who's. Um, who's got the potential to become a championship player? Would I pay four million pounds for that? I don't. I don't think I would have. I reckon you're going to look very silly with this shout. I, I think so. this could be the Hope kind so. of thing that comes back to bite you in your DMs in a, <laughs> in a few months' time. Uh, my worst transfer is Connor Cody to Leicester. Now I mentioned it earlier on in the show. If Leicester signed Connor Cody on a free transfer, I'd be thinking, fine, all right. His wages will be a bit dear, but he's a decent addition to the back line. But they've spent £7.5 million on a 30-year-old who wasn't deemed good enough at Everton. And they only just stayed up ahead of Leicester. He started one of their final 14 league games and Everton opted not to sign him. And Everton seemed to sign anyone who's half-decent and available. As well as that, I don't think he's better than what Leicester have already got. Valt Feiss, Callum Doyle, Harry Souter, Yannick Vestergaard... Is he really better than any of them? As you know, I'm a huge Harry Souter fan and he seemed to be told he could leave in the summer despite, in my opinion, being a better player than Cody and is also younger. So I just don't get that move. And it may not mean much because Leicester could still get promoted and him only play a handful of minutes, but it just seems like a big waste of money to me. Hmm. Uh, I... 
I agree that maybe the fee was a bit excessive, but I think the attributes that Connor Cody brings to this Leicester team are attributes that are very hard to get and also that this Leicester team desperately needed. That's leadership, that's Let communication. Me, okay, I was going to say, what, what, what attributes do you mean there? But I mean, if you wanted leadership and motivation, you could have got Mr. Motivator in. It'd be a lot cheaper. It would be a lot cheaper, but I don't think he's capable of competing 90 minutes Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for 46 games. I'm not sure that Connor being Cody said, is. Neither is Connor Cody at the moment, <laughs> but but at least Connor Cody's a little bit younger. Um, yeah, I think Just there's... A bit. <laughs> there, 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 uh, there's leadership, there's there's communication. You know, he's a, he's a likeable personality and I don't think... Leicester have lost a lot of that. Cashmere Smichael left, Wes Morgan left, uh, retired, sorry. So he immediately brings a team that desperately needed guidance on the pitch and off the pitch from a playing point of view he immediately brings those factors factors that Wout Faust Harry Souter who are the other players you mentioned Vestergaard 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 isn't not he's not very good Ryan he isn't he isn't I think he's probably better than Cody no I disagree entirely did you see Connor Cody for Everton last season did you see Yannick Vestergaard for Leicester in any of his games over the last couple of years not a, very, not a very good defender. Leicester fans don't particularly like him either. Maybe at championship level we could get something out of him, but I think the Connor Cody will definitely trump him. I do agree. I think seven seven and a half million pounds is, is expensive for a player who's at the latter end of his career. But if he gets Leicester promoted, who gives a shit? Well, that, that, that's what I that's what I think because I, I think Leicester at the moment will still get promoted unless something goes horrendously wrong in the coming months, which potentially could do um, and if that does happen and they don't get promoted then it's going to look like a real cock up but I, I, I struggle to see Cody paying back that seven and a half million and if they do get promoted then it is a case of who cares but I just don't think he's better than what they've already got I think you can only judge this transfer at the end of the season I think it's literally the only time you can do it because if they get promoted and he's played 20, 30 games or started 20, 30 games, then you look at it and go, he's, he's contributed, well done, brilliant. He's paid back his fee because Premier League money, ching, 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 ching. Um, but if they don't get promoted, then you, you're then looking at it and going, oh, it gets very expensive next year because your parachute payments start to start to reduce. So that's when you can really start to pass pass judgment on this, on this deal. The other thing is which I haven't mentioned yet, it's been well talked about how he is much more suited to playing in a back three. So far, Leicester have played mostly with a back four. So when Cody is back fit, are they going to change the whole setup to suit one player of questionable quality? Surely not. That's another reason why the signing just it didn't make sense for me at the time and a couple of months later seems even more strange. Right, that's enough of that. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Give me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions, and this week I'll be providing the questions for Justin. Are you ready, Peachy? Yeah. Good. <laughs> um. Well, we've had a transfer-themed episode, so here's a transfer-themed question. Rank these clubs on who made the most signings in the summer transfer window. Birmingham, Cardiff, Sunderland, Swansea. Hmm. I will add, I'm only counting signings for the first team, not the under-21s or academy. So keep that in mind when you make your prediction, Justin. Leicester, uh, Leicester, Cardiff signed... (laughs) Good start. Cardiff signed everybody on loan um, and a 40-year-old Ramsey who can't move anymore. Um, Is that more than Birmingham? Don't think so. But I'm going to go Sunderland, Birmingham, uh, Sunderland, Birmingham, Cardiff and... Swansea. Who was the last team? Swansea. Yeah, that four. From highest to lowest was that? Yes. You are wrong. Um, You've massively underestimated Swansea because Swansea were top. With 14. Yeah. Who? I was surprised when I saw that as well. 14 players they've brought in this summer. Birmingham were second with 12. Sunderland third with 11th. And Cardiff were bottom with nine. Uh, 
I'm going to have to check this out after the episode. Who's Swansea signed? Yes. That's the concerning thing. A lot of players coming in, but Justin Peach can't name a single player they've signed. Just Josh Gunnan and Jerry Ace, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> um, so that's that. Uh, next question is this. Here's four Americans. I want you to rank them on who has made the most appearances at championship level. Jade Merritt, Eddie Lewis, Anthony Robinson, Zach Whitbread. Zach Whitbread. Just Zach Whitbread. Um, <laughs> Jade Merritt, what a player. What a player. Eddie Lewis. Such an interesting career story as well. You, yeah. You incredible. read up on how he got into at Watford. It's... Uh, Crazy, it is crazy mad. stuff. It is mad, and he also scored at the Millennium Stadium. What was probably the worst pitch for a player final I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Um, I'm going to go Eddie Lewis. Somehow played in the Premier League at Derby. Don't know how, but he's played. Not forgiving him for that, have you? No, <laughs> it was hopeless. Uh, good smile, though. Very nice smile. Um, I'm going to go Eddie Lewis, Jade Merritt, uh, Zach Whitbread, and Nancy Robinson. You are wrong because you've <sighs> underestimated how many appearances Anthony Robinson has made. Really? And overestimated how many appearances Eddie Lewis has made for that matter. So actually, you've got it quite wrong. Uh, Jade Merritt was top with 150. Anthony Robinson was second with 130. Eddie Lewis, 124. Zach Weirbred, only 79. I thought he had a lot more than that. He spent a long time in the championship, but I think he was always a squad centre-back. Yeah. Yeah, I think mm. he may have had a few spells in League One and what have you as well. Um, Always really called Too many clubs he played for, to be honest. Very blonde hair. That's what I remember. Very blonde hair. Final question is this. Put these Pixar films in order of which one came out first. Cars, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles. Cars, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., The Incredibles. I'm going to go Finding Nemo. No, I'm going to go Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Car... Shit. Car shit? <laughs> um, uh, no, sorry. Complete revised list. Okay. I'm going to go Monsters, Inc., mm -hmm. then the Finding Nemo. The Finding Nemo. The okay. Finding Nemo. Same then, list as it was before then. <laughs> <laughs> then The Incredibles, then Cars. You have absolutely nailed it. ka well done, Justin Pidge. ka -chow. There we go. Um, I thought you may get Finding Nemo and The Incredibles mixed up, but it was Monsters, Inc., which was first, 2001. Finding Nemo, 2003. The Incredibles, 2004. Cars, 2006. Interestingly, those films seem to go in descending order from how good they are as well, although maybe Finding Nemo wow. is slightly better than Monsters, Inc. Don't enjoy Finding Nemo. Uh, really, 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 really placid, really too sad for a Pixar film a lot of death All in Pixar that one. films are quite sad did you not see Toy Story 3 that film gets me every single well, time it's sad though they didn't die but they separated Justin you heartless bastard that is, this has been the second tier podcast this has been our review of the worst of the transfer window from the past summer you'll be glad to know it's going to be a lot more positive in Sunday's episode that's where we go through the best of the transfer window where we're going to go through the five best transfer windows talk about the best permanent signings the best loan signings so it's going to be a jolly good time I reckon so this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.